Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary, a Fights and Football Friday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for those of you watching on YouTube and for those of you listening on podcasts. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. If you're watching on YouTube, just like this video, please. Like me. Uh, also subscribe to the, the channel as well. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show Diary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show today, it is another mock draft. Um, we will be doing that. We will be looking at overvalued teams, overvalued players. We'll be getting into, for the fight portion, we'll be getting into the debate about who should be the next title challenger at 135 pounds in the UFC, and we'll be looking at AEW All-In. So, a lot to get to on the show today. Today, thank you all so much for tuning in today. All right, this is mock draft number six. We did mock draft number five yesterday, so now it is time to get into it from the number six slot. Last time, we were a little surprised as Travis Kelsey went number three, so a few times we've had a few surprises thrown our way. Let's see how it all plays out today. We are doing one of these from each one of the positions in a 12-team half PPR draft. If you've missed any of them, they're all available in podcast form and eventually all available on YouTube as well. Well, so let us hit start draft. We will hit OK. I right, remember to mute. So we have a bit of surprise here as Tyreek Hill goes number two. So when it comes to us, I was hoping that this would eventually happen. So the first five picks of the draft, Christian McCaffrey, then three receivers. Tyreek Hill goes two. Jamar, um, Jamar Chase goes three. Justin Jefferson, four. And Austin Eckler at five. Which means we finally get to test it out. What happens when you go Travis Kelsey with your first round pick? A click. Why didn't it work? There we go. Scaring me for a second there. All right, so after that, Bijan Robinson, Saquon Barkley, then you go Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, Nick Chubb, a Jonathan Taylor sighting. At the back end of the first round, Patrick Mahomes, first quarterback off of the board. So we are now left Josh Jacobs, Josh Allen, Tony Pollard, Garrett Wilson uh, available along with Jalen Waddell and Jalen Hurts. So we're right in that middle part where we can't rely on just anyone swooping back around to us. So immediately, I don't love the, the options at, at running back. And I also don't love the options at wide receiver. So we are seeing that at least very early on. Travis Kelsey is, is maybe not the move here with the sixth overall selection. Um, so you know what? Let's just double down on it. Let's go. Boom. Josh Allen with our second pick. So we have no running backs and no wide receivers. Let's see how this plays out. Instead of a zero RB strategy, we're just going zeros across the board strategy. So after us, it went Garrett Wilson, then two running backs, Jacobs and Pollard. Jalen Hurts goes to team two. Jalen Waddell goes to team one, who then takes Ramondre Stevenson at the top of the third round. Then it goes Chris Olave, Mark Andrews, another quarterback off the board, Najee Harris, and Devontae Smith. So now, with no running backs and no wide receivers to our name, Let's see what we can come up with. So immediately we are looking at one of my favorite players here in the third round, and that is Debo Samuel. We haven't been in a spot to draft Calvin Ridley yet. I think that might be a bit of a reach. I think Debo Samuel is going to have a phenomenal year with San Francisco. So I'm going to take Debo Samuel at wide receiver, and we are really locked into zero RB at this point. But 
a run on wide receivers happens. Higgins goes after, as does Metcalf and Ridley. Now we're getting into a few more running backs with Mixon, Walker, and Gibbs going off. A couple more quarterbacks leave the board, and it comes back to us. So top available players, according to the ADP, Brees Hall is sitting right there along with Amari Cooper, uh, and then Herbert, Hawkins, Hawkinson, and Kittle. We don't really have to worry about them, now do we? Um, so then it's DeAndre Hopkins and Terry McLaurin. No running backs on our team just yet. It's it, it's feeling sketchy at running back right now. But again, I like the options at receiver more than I like the options at running back right now. So I think I might keep doubling down on this strategy. And I am going to go with DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver with the Tennessee Titans. So now wide receiver is locked in. We've really committed to the zero RB bit. Let's, let's see how this all plays out. Only a couple running backs off the board so far. Brees Hall is gone. Miles Sanders gone. Now we've had a bit of a run with Damian Pierce and Cam Akers as well. Um... But then it is Hawkinson, and then it is our pick here. So we're probably going to leave wide receiver alone. Let, we should probably go to the running back spot. And I think we have a couple of decent ones here available. We have J.K. Dobbins with Baltimore along with Alexander Madison out in Minnesota. I'm going to go J.K. Dobbins. I think he's a little bit better um, and another year removed from injury. I, I think he's going to be all right this year. I think we could get a breakout. So you know what? We're looking okay. Looking okay with our, our zero RB strategy. Right now, I definitely don't mind that uh, where we're at. But now the issue, we've had a few running backs come off of the board. So our RB2 is going to look a little suspect. However, just like we did yesterday, Alvin Kamara is sitting there. He would be our RB2. I would feel all right with that. Wide receivers right now, Brandon Ayuk, Tyler Lockett, Marquise Brown, Michael Pittman. That's a bit of a fall uh, along with Evans and Pickens. So it is getting to a point where I do think there is a bit of a drop at wide receiver. So I might try to lock in here uh, another wide out. I don't love any of the options. And you know what? Honestly, none of the players available are as good as the two running backs. So j just looking at it, while it does feel like there is a bit of a drop coming up receiver, I'm going to take the chance. We, we went Alvin Kamara yesterday. Let's switch it up. Uh, you know what? Let's stay... Let's stay with Alvin Kamara. Let, let's stay with Kamara. Let, let's not get too risky. Javante Williams goes right after. That's the other one that we were thinking of clicking on. Um, after Williams, it goes Dallas Goddard, Tyler Lockett, George Pickens, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman. So that run we were worried about a wide receiver did happen. Marquise Brown and Mike Evans uh, is done as well. But now we have, as we've had for everyone so far, all of our starting spots locked up, kind of, with Alvin Kamara being suspended for the first three weeks of the season. So because of that, we're going to need another running back. Um... I think the best one available, so right now, it is available is David Gip uh, David Montgomery, sorry, James Cook, A.J. Dillon, Antonio Gibson, uh, and then Zach Charbonnet, along with Rashad Penny. I, I think the most talented running back available out of all of those is Antonio Gibson. I do think we could maybe wait on that a little bit, but I, I like the talent of Gibson, so I'm just going to go Antonio Gibson and lock that one in. He'll be a fine flex play as the season goes along once Alvin Kamara comes back and kind of takes over number two running back duties. A few more running backs come off the board, as we mentioned. Cook, Montgomery, Chardonnay, uh, A.J. Dillonoff. But a, a pretty good run of wide receivers comes off right before us, Dotson, Burks, and Brandon Cooks. But we've been, I've been calling him Jalen Addison this whole time. It's Jordan Addison. My apologies, Jalen. Um, but Jordan Addison is available to us here. He has been one who every time he comes off, it's like, man, I would have liked that one. So we're going to take the number two wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings here. And you know what? For starting with a tight end and a quarterback, I am feeling very good about how this draft is kind of shaking up. Khalil Herbert going 
two picks before us does sting a little bit. He, he's been one of the guys who I've been really liking um, as these drafts have, have kind of come around. So now we have an interesting strategy thing here where we could go Jamal Williams, who will be taking over a lot of the running back duties for Alvin Kamara for the first few weeks of the season. Um, and at wide receiver, we could also go Michael Thomas and see where that is playing out. But this is, again, one of the, the things that we have noticed. It falls off at wide receiver before it falls off at running back. I, I don't love any of these options at receiver. Well, there's a couple of options here at, at running back that I do not mind. Um, I'm going to take a gamble here and say Jamal Williams is still going to be available with our, our next pick in the um, uh, 10th round. So at this point, we're going to take another shot here with, a, with our rookie wide receiver that we've loved taking so far. We're going to go Zay Flowers in the ninth, and we are going to hope like heck that uh, Jamal Williams doesn't get taken, and there he goes. He does go um, end of the ninth round. So that was probably maybe a bit pie in the sky that, that Williams was going to, to fall to us. This one's interesting here. Um, so it's Damian Harris, Eliza Mitchell, Jarek McKinnon, and Tyler Algier is available. Bijan is going to get a lot of it, but Algier was very fine as an Atlanta running back last year. So that's, that could be a play there. Run, wide receivers available, Elijah Moore, um, Alan Lazard, Sky Moore, Adam Thielen, and Tyler Boyd. None of those really pique my interest at all. I'm going to go Tyler Algier here. I, I like, I, I think he's a talented kid. So I, I think he's still going to get a bitter run out in Atlanta. But we are getting to that point where maybe it starts to make sense to take that first defense off of the board because we're not liking a whole lot of the options that are out there. Back-to-back -back running backs go before us. Uh, Geno Smith also came off of the board. So, you know, we went Tank Bigsby last time. We might be going back to that route um, that well one more time here. I think we can probably wait. I want to get Darnell Moody. I, I do want to get maybe one more receiving option to kind of round things out a little bit. Uh, sorry for those watching. I'm kind of all over the place with the, the the scrolling right now. But I think we are going to go Tank Bigsby here. Running back, like I said, I'm not a believer in Travis Etienne. So I, I think that there is a chance that Bigsby actually gets a pretty good run right now. Uh, we have had a couple of defenses come off of the board coming around to us. The Cowboys, Niners, Bills, and Eagles. But still some pretty good options out there like the Jets and the Ravens. Um, because of that, like, because you have Jets, Ravens, and Dolphins that are still available to us, I might consider actually waiting in this spot, but who stands out? It's Darnell Mooney and Romeo Dubs, like we've talked about in, pra in past drafts. Uh, Condre Miller, we could get that, uh, another New Orleans backup running back as well, or Jalen Warren as well. Like, I feel like we have pivot options in all of these spots. It's just a matter of what the, the high end is. And so because of that, I, I do like Condre Miller. So we are going to take him um, running back for the New Orleans Saints. And now we've had a bit of a run on defenses that the Dolphins going to team one does sting a little bit. So the Jets, Ravens, and Dolphins all come off of the board. So that one, that one kind of stings. At this point, it doesn't seem worth it to, to reach an extra round on a defense. We'll just take what's left. Um, Darnell Mooney comes off the board two picks before us. That one hurts a little bit as well. Uh, none of the other running backs that we were kind of looking at have come off, including a, a Jalen Warren in this spot. But we said we wanted to get one more receiver. We're going to do that here with Romeo Dubs. I just think he could actually play a role in a Green Bay offense that is going to have a lot of variance this year, given uh, a new rookie quarterback at the um, at the position. So we will see what happens there. Since our pick, only two defenses come off, the Saints and the Patriots. We are left with a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that I will gladly take 
as our sixth um, overall pick draft winds down here, the last pick is going to be whatever kicker is available, which has always been Brandon McManus. And so that is who we will take. The draft rounds out with a few more picks here. And then that is it. So... To recap, we went 0RB to start. Our quarterback is Josh Allen. Our receivers are Debo Samuel and DeAndre Hopkins. And our tight end is Travis Kelsey. With the 0RB strategy, we still come away with J.K. Dobbins, Alvin Kamara, and Antonio Gibson as our running backs. Um, for depth pieces, we have Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers, along with uh, Tyler Algier, Tank Bigsby, and Condre Miller. Romeo Dubs, also a, a depth option at wide receiver. So... We have some options actually out there at the, the at both positions. I was a little worried about how this was going to play out, but I love this team. So sixth overall, you you are you are okay with me as that worked out very very well in uh, I guess what is now the midway point of all of our mock drafts. All right, back to the big screen now. As we look at overvalued teams and players. Uh, let's start with overvalued players to just continue on with the fantasy football discussion here today. Um, up first is Cooper Cup. He is currently going as the seventh overall pick in drafts. And, I mean, you just watched the sixth um, overall pick mock draft. So we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to make a decision with that player. And it concerns me because I think he is extremely talented and I do have him on a couple of fantasy teams just as keeper options. He is very, very good and still one of the best receivers in the NFL. But to take him ahead of guys like Saquon Barkley or a couple of other receivers that you might get in that spot just seems a bit insane to me given how volatile the situation is with the Rams offense. The potential that Matthew Stafford is just cooked. That offensive line did not look very good. It's kind of Cooper Cup and everyone else right now. And so I think taking a first round pick on him is really, really risky. And so because of that, I think it is just a bit of an overvalue right now for Cooper Cup. Um, into the second round, late in the second round, Tony Pollard, 17th overall, he is going as RB6. Look, I think Tony Pollard is really, really good. But I do think that it is getting a little bit insane how everyone is just assuming, oh yeah, no, he's just going to be the one of the top six running backs in the league this year. Like that's that's just, we're totally fine with how that's playing out. I, I do have a bit of a ooh, concern about where that could potentially be going. And so because of that, I, I think Tony Pollard is a little bit overvalued. I, I think you are taking him right, if you're taking him 17th overall, um, then you are taking him as an assumption that you are going to get best case scenario out of him. And that just seems like a reach for me and is kind of the definition of overvalued. Najee Harris is coming in next. He is RB 10, 25th overall. It's weird. The entire, it feels like the entire fantasy community is like, yeah, this guy's not very good. So 25th. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. RB 10, no, like a, a number one running back. Sure. Yeah. Lock, lock that in. I just, no one thinks this guy's actually all that good. He's going to be on an offense that is going to be stalled. The one thing he's going to be getting is volume. And you have to assume that at some point the Steelers figure out that, hmm, we seem to be getting more yards when Jalen Warren touches the ball compared to when Najee touches the ball. So I think that you are drafting very specifically just off of situation. And I think that can get you into a lot of trouble, especially when you're going 25th overall and as a number one running back. Next up on our list is just a couple of picks after that. It is Travis Etienne, 28th overall. Um, this feels like, oh, well, the Jags offense is going to be great this year. So we want to take Tra um, Trevor Lawrence high. We want to take Calvin Ridley high. We have to take the running back. Who is it? Travis Etienne. Ooh. I'd take him high too. Like th this just feels like a matter of what the offense is rather than 
what this kid's talent actually is. He has never shown for a full season that he is capable of being that type of a guy. And so because of that, I, I think he is widely overvalued. And again, another player that if you draft him at that point, going right now as RB12, so in a 12-team league, that's an RB1. Um, if you're drafting him as an RB1, you are drafting him assuming you are going to get best case scenario and probably even greater than best case scenario at this point. Last one is Jameer Gibbs. So we're hating on running backs today. 34th overall, uh, RB13. So borderline RB1, high-end RB2. For a guy we haven't seen in an offense that didn't improve, that didn't just feature one running back for the last since Barry Sanders. Hmm. They also brought in David Montgomery, who, quite frankly, I think might be better than Jameer Gibbs right now. Also, have we not learned from Alabama running backs, one of whom is already on here? Like, it just, it it stacks up on itself. It's like, why... Maybe part of this is I don't think Detroit should have drafted him in the first place, and we'll get into our frustration around the Lions a little bit later on, but I don't get what everyone is seeing in Jameer Gibbs, and I don't get what we are, um, what, why we, everyone is clamoring over themselves to, to draft this kid right now in a situation that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, on a team that might be just overrated itself, I, I I kind of wonder what the real value is that you are getting with a uh, Jameer Gibbs right now. Um, I, I just don't get it. I really, really, really don't get it with Jameer Gibbs. So those are my five overvalued players for fantasy football this year. Going into overvalued teams now. Uh, this one more in the betting market. We're going to start with the New York Jets. It feels like we're whistling past the graveyard a little bit when it comes to the Jets, specifically with their offensive line. It was atrocious a season ago, and now you have Aaron Rodgers who can get the ball away quickly, but really prefers to kind of just stand there and hold it a lot. Like, that. that is kind of Aaron Rodgers' MO. He holds it, he holds it, he holds it, keeps plays alive, which he can do, but at his age... Are we concerned that he's going to be able to keep doing that for an entire season? I don't know. Yes, the pieces around Aaron Rodgers are great. 100% they are. And that defense looks legit. But one, Aaron Rodgers kind of sucked last year. Two, that offensive line really sucked last year and it did not get any better. And three, while I love him to death, I don't know if Robert Sala is that guy. So to have the sixth best odds of winning the Super Bowl and plus 250 odds to win your division, I think that makes the Jets a very overvalued team this year. Up next, the New Orleans Saints. Their over-under comes in at nine and a half. Um, I just don't think this is a very good football team. I, I like a couple of pieces. Alvin Kamara, I think, is still great. Chris Olave is fine. But Derek Carr is not, I don't think, a 10-win quarterback at this point. Uh, the defense is just okay, and the coaching staff is eh. Now, you are playing against a very weak division, but I feel like we are kind of forgetting you are a very weak football team. So, I like, th this is plain and simple. I just don't look at the Saints team as a 10-win team, uh, team. I don't care about division. I don't care about any of that. I just look at the, the talent on this roster. That's not a 10-win football team. So that's why I think they are overvalued. Uh, also on this list, Minnesota. Even at eight and a half wins. Really? Eight and a half? Like, th this was such a lucky team a season ago. And it, it feels like while everyone faded them last year... I don't think enough of that is being baked into the price this year for for this team. They were terrible last year and just got incredible. Well, terrible is a bit of a stretch. Terrible is an exaggeration. 
But they, they got incredibly lucky in one-score games. Uh, greatest comeback in the history of forever. I don't think Kirk Cousins is very good. I like some of the other weapons around them, but I do think going from Cook to Madison is a bit of a downgrade. The defense has been hit or miss for a decade now. Is it good? Maybe. But is there a chance that this team finishes fourth in this division this year? 100% there is. I think this could be a real fall-down year in Minnesota. Uh, two more. One others from the AFC South, and it is the Carolina Panthers. Their win total is at 7.5. This is going to be another year where I think we are going to really try to target just the bad football teams. Um, instead of trying to pick like who the, the top teams are, I feel like a lot of the bad teams are overvalued, and I think Carolina certainly comes in at that spot. A rookie quarterback with minimal weapons around him, like this is, this is not a very good team. And specifically, like maybe the quarterback leads him to a, a, a great run, but rookie quarterback taking this team to eight and nine, I don't think so. I think Carolina is wildly overvalued at seven and a half. And the last one is the Denver Broncos. Yes, Sean Payton's phenomenal, but. And that defense was great last year. They traded a piece, of, a fairly big piece off of that. And I don't feel like they ever really came back to it. Also, Russell Wilson still sucks. Their top running back, who I like, Javante Williams, is coming off of an ACL injury. Um, and like the, the receivers who, again, we think are pretty good, but they haven't really had the chance to fully display all of that. All of this in a division where you have to play the Chiefs, you have to play the Chargers, who are obviously better than you. You're better than the Raiders, but the rest of the AFC is super tough. I think this team really struggles to get to nine wins, and so that's why Denver is my fifth overvalued team. That is the football portion of Fights and Football Friday. Now, let's get into some fight talk. All right, Fights and Football Friday continues with the fighting portion now. UFC 292 is in the rearview mirror. Coming up this weekend, um, Max Holloway taking on the Korean Zombie. I think that's going to be a great fight and a real interesting test to see Max Holloway. What level is he still at um, in this weight class? And can he still be someone who can contend at the, this championship level? I think it's going to be a fun fight. Um, it's really early in the morning out in Singapore, but I, I think this will be another showcase because Max Holloway is not being brought up in terms of title contention right now. And with all the shifting going on between 135, 145, and 155, I feel like it's a real mistake to count Max Holloway out. So that's just a, a quick rundown of that. But let's get into the bantamweights who are vying for this next title shot. Sean O'Malley beats Aljamain Sterling. Um, for purposes of this exercise, Sean O'Malley is not going to be facing Aljamain Sterling in a rematch right away. Uh, a, that was pretty definitive. B, I think Sterling needs to take time off. C, he might be moving to a different weight class. So, we are going to look at the uh, three contenders and kind of the pros and cons of their resume to see who really should stack up for the next bantamweight championship. Bout. We will start with Marlon Chido Vera. The pros for him is that he has a pro victory over the champion. The only professional to beat the champion right now is Marlon Chido Vera. And the other pro is that Sean O'Malley called his ass out in the cage on Saturday night. A lot of times you do that, that's probably going to be what happens next, especially if you're the champion. Unless you're calling me out, um, and I don't think I can make 135 pounds. Uh, I, I just, a lot of times if you're the champion, you're calling your shot, you're getting your shot, especially when you're as valuable as Sean O'Malley is. And I thought Brian Campbell earlier this week had a really good point on Morning Combat where he was talking about like Sean O'Malley, a lot of times on social clips, you will see like the guy standing up from the knockout and oh, hey, the, the new champion of the world, blah, 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 blah. That highlight of him knocking out Aljamain Sterling 
was everywhere. They want this kid everywhere. And so I, I think they might throw him a bone and give him Marlon Vera. The other pro, there are some major names on that resume that Marlon Vera has beat. Frankie Edgar, Dominic Cruz, those guys. The con, um, we're doing this, by the way, between Marlon Vera, uh, Marab Devalishvili, and uh, Corey Sanhagen. The con for Vera is that he has very recently lost to Corey Sanhagen. And so it's difficult when you're looking at a potential number one contender um, that you've lost to one of the other number one contenders very recently. So that is a big con for Marlon Vera. We may as well go to Corey Sanhagen. One of his pros is that he is just beaten one of the guys in this conversation in Marlon Chito Vera. You see how that works out there. Um, that That's a, a huge feather in his cap. The other one is it's a three-fight win streak. It has been an impressive run. The downside to it he has had two opportunities to break into that title realm. A title eliminator against Aljamain Sterling back at UFC 252, I believe. Um, and also a interim bantamweight championship fight against Piotr Jan. He lost both. So he has had two cracks at getting into the like elite room of championship contention. And he has fallen on his face twice. So I think those are big marks against him. And now we get to the third, Marab Devalishvili. Uh, his pro is that he is on a nine-fight winning streak. There are major names on that one as well. It was an underwhelming win over Jose Aldo, but it was a win over Jose Aldo nonetheless. Nine wins in a row for Marab. So if you are just looking at that, he is so clearly the number one contender who has just kind of been bouncing around in this sort of world where maybe he hasn't got the bigger names or the bigger opportunities because his training partner and one of his best friends, Aljamain Sterling, had the title to begin with. So it's been a difficult spot for Marab. The issue that he has Boy, it's a lot of decisions on that resume. Um, I believe it's seven of the nine fights in his win streak have all gone to a decision. So when you are looking at exciting title challengers for Sean O'Malley's first title defense, maybe at Vegas in December, this one doesn't really stack up all that great. So um, from a marketing standpoint, there's one clear option. And I think from a resume standpoint, there's one clear option. I think if you're looking at marketing this fight, um, Marlon Vera gets it. He, he, he has a win over Sean O'Malley and Sean O'Malley called him out on the cage, called him boring, took a shot at the guy and went with that. I, I feel like marketing wise, it's just been handed to you on a platter. Like here, take it, go. Um, in terms of, uh, Sanhagen, I feel like in both instances, he's out. He doesn't have the, the win streak of, um, of Marab, and he doesn't have the history with the, ch with the champion that Marlon Vera does. He just, like, he, again, he's beat Vera, so that's great, but I, I feel like he, he's kind of stuck between both worlds. I think we're doing this on merit. It should probably be Marab next, and I think you could tell an interesting story with that. Like, hey, I just beat your boy, now I'm gonna beat you. Um, I, I think you could get Sarah Longo in some pretty fun trash talk with O'Malley as well, and Marab, again, like I said, like, he has the resume to back it up. Is he the most exciting fighter? No, but I, I do also think that that'll present an interesting challenge to see if O'Malley can kind of get that out of him at whenever they fight. So to me, it probably should be Marab, who is the next title challenger at 135 pounds in the UFC. Finally, we end with some pro wrestling talk, as it is AEW All-In this weekend, coming to you from Wembley Stadium in London, England. Uh, the tagline is the biggest event in wrestling history, so no pressure. Um, obviously, the build-up to this has been phenomenal, like just selling out tickets, or selling tickets like crazy. So you know what, if they could like, it'll, it'll look cool, but if they put 30, 40,000 fans in there, that's a gigantic win. 
They're going to put over 80,000 fans in that bitch. And like it, it is, they did that without announcing anybody. Without announcing anybody, they put that on there. And I kind of think that hurt a little bit because it's like, oh, well, we don't have to use some of our A material. There's some great matches on here. Um, but this does not have the feel. When you just look at the card, this does not have the feel of the great, the biggest event in the history of the sport. Some great matches on here, but this doesn't really have that. And I think for me, the thing that is missing is Kenny Omega against Will Ospreay. Um, I think this would have been the perfect place to do that third one there. Um, and I... I think it's a missed opportunity. But again, they sold 80,000 tickets, so how can we really knock them all that much? So let's get into this one. On the, uh, I think they call it the Zero Hour, it is Aussie Open taking on MJF and Adam Cole for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship. I think that that is, it would be interesting if Cole and MJF actually won it. Um, and A, that adds a lot to, to Ring of Honor that you have two of the biggest stars from AEW going to be on your show at least for a little bit. Um, but it adds a little bit of intrigue to the, the title finale. So I, I think actually MJ Cole and uh, MJ Cole. Wow. Uh, MJF and Adam Cole get the win in that spot. Then on to the pay-per-view. FTR defending the AEW World Tag Team Championships against the Young Bucks. Obviously a lot going on here in real life with uh, Cash Wheeler being arrested um, he is apparently going to be able to make this show, but I, I think it's pretty obvious the Young Bucks are going to win this one and be able to defend those titles and not have any legal issues hanging over one of their team members. The four-way for the AEW Women's World Championship, Hikaru Shida taking on Tony Storm, taking on Soraya, taking on Britt Baker, DMD. Um, Shida winning the title was really interesting. She, like, she has been great. And I have said before, she screams superstar to me. So I, I like this. And quite frankly, I would have her win this one. Um, I, I think that would be great. It sucks that Jamie Hayter isn't going to be here for this. The injuries that she has were just too great for her to come back into this. So that it sucks that she won't be there. Like, for, obviously for, like, what it means, Soraya winning it at Wembley would be really cool. Same thing with Tony Storm. Obviously, anyone winning a match at Wembley Stadium is going to be fucking awesome. It's one of the, like... One of the places that is held in the highest regard in wrestling that really people have only been to for like major North American wrestling like once at SummerSlam 92. Um, so like I could honestly, I could see any of them winning it. I would like to see Hikaru Shida win it. I, I think she is someone you can build around in this women's division. Tag team coffin match, Darby Allen and Sting against the mogul embassy of AR Fox and Swerve Strickland. This is just going to be fucking insane. Um like wild weapon spots and all of this and just like a match on turbo mode the whole time where I do eventually think Mogul Embassy will fall to Darby Allen and Sting. Six-person tag team match. It is the Golden Elite, Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega, and Hangman Adam Page against uh, Kanosuke Takeshita and the Bullet Club Gold of Juice Robinson and Jay White. Um, Takeshita feels like a star, but I, I think the Golden Elite come away with a, a big win here and they probably are the next uh, six-man tag team cha uh, challengers anyway. Stadium Stampede, Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy, the best friends of Chuck Taylor and Tremperetta, and Penta El Zero Miedo and TBA, taking on the Blackpool Combat Club with uh, Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, Wheeler Yuta, and uh, TBA as well. Um, th this is going to be a wild one, but I think Blackpool Combat Club comes away with a victory here. Osprey against Chris Jericho. This one, I'm, I'm really interested to see what kind of a match... Osprey can get out of Chris Jericho at this point. I think Osprey comes away with the win. The real world championship on the line. CM Punk going up against Samoa Joe. Um, I think Punk probably wins and continues that real world championship 
mess that he's doing right now over on Collision. Uh, I think Punk comes away with the win, but it, it, that, that'll be cool. And then in the main event, MJF taking on Adam Cole. I think MJF retains. I think it'll be an excellent, excellent match. The build for this has been unique, but it's been a whole lot of fun. And I, I think MJF does come away with a win, potentially setting up something with MJF and Punk, or the Punk thing is to actually do a brand split and move off of that one with two world champions going forward. So there is your all-in preview. Um, at some point, we will do an all-in post-show as well. That's going to do it for the show. Um, over 30 minutes today, so that's great. Um, if you watched all the way through, thank you so much. Like the video, subscribe on YouTube, leave a comment. That would be great as well. Um, if you're listening, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Really does help. We've seen a boost in numbers lately, and that is greatly appreciated. Want to keep boosting and keep growing this show. So those are the ways that you can do it. Uh, that is it, like I said, for the rest of the week. We may... Um, I'm hoping to do something. Um, Terry Funk passing away. I, I didn't include that here. I, I should have. That's a mistake on my part. Uh, Terry Funk passing away. So we're going to do something on the legacy of Terry Funk, either this weekend or early into next week. Um, and like I said, we're going to have some form of all-in post coverage as well. Then when we get into next week we're going to be looking at undervalued teams in the nfl and undervalued players in fantasy football that's coming up on monday's show so a lot to look forward to thank you all so much however you consumed it i appreciate it i hope you have a wonderful weekend and i will talk to you all